Hey, everybody, it's uh, trend. I guess it's trending Twitter Tuesday. I had a couple of things that were uh, came up and you know bubbled up out of the old uh, story swamp, and I said, well, maybe that could be an episode. And I think I've talked about one of the things before, and I, so I want everybody to kind of close their eyes. And for a lot of us, there's like one or two books from our childhood. Maybe not, and I'm not talking about the books that were read to us or that we had to read. Uh, but books we discovered as a child, and they were not, not everybody. So some people it might not be a book. For some people it could be music or an image or a phrase. And for me, I, I got those things. But this is a, this is about this book that I had, and I, I think I talked about it once on a a show. And I think I looked it up, and I was trying to remember. I said, did it come up in, like, a Game of Thrones where it was, like, fact-based, or was it one of these more story-based episodes? And I don't remember. And, you know, the, these things happen when you do 400-something episodes. Sometimes you they you know, they mush together. Some and, and even with the podcast episodes, some of them stick out to me, and then some they kind of start to fade into the background. And also, if you've been around here, and if you know, well, if things start to, in Scoots's brain, you know, things start to meld together anyway. But there was this one book that I loved as a young, like, I guess, I guess it was a young child. I guess at one point, in, you know, at some point, I, I behave, you know, I behave childish. I can be childlike. But at one point, I was a child, you know, not just in behavior or maturity, which I think is your behavior. Maturity drives your behavior uh, sometimes, I guess. That's what these are things that have been told to me by finger pointers. And we, we covered finger pointers a while back. Um, but this book, and I don't know the title of it, so that's one problem. Two, I have these vague imprints of in my mind. And I did look up the book after whenever the last time I talked about it was. I guess it wasn't a groundbreaking or very famous book, but I can remember talking about it at school, reading it. I think I probably checked it out at the school library because maybe I, I can't I can't picture it at my house. Uh, so maybe it was my favorite. I remember our school had a very small library. It was more like a closet, uh, but but it you know that's lucky. Some schools have no libraries nowadays. Uh, but before I get to the con content of the book, it was a children's book, but in that it was a soft cover children's book with pictures and um, words or what is that called? Text, I believe that's what it's called when it's in a book. Now, again, I don't know these, and, I, and this, is this is embarrassing, so I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, this isn't meant to do that. But when I picture the art from the book in my mind, I also associate it with a more famous book that, of course, I don't remember the name of. But I do remember it being much more po popular than this book. I might have been the only kid reading this book uh, that, that I'm going to touch on tonight. But this other book, I know it's famous, and I know it involved a carrot and a, and a boy. And the boy had overalls on it. And I think a hat, and he may have he may have branched out into cartoons, uh, but I'm fairly certain that that book was famous, and it may have had carrot in the title. And I think something about it was carrot related to something about the book, probably metaphorical or figurative. 
you know, it wasn't about the carrot kid. That, you know, that was one of the names I go by sometimes in these stories. Uh, but that book, it did, it had like a kind of, it had its own sense of style. Um, maybe it was, maybe the kid, maybe it's the same as I know my name is Simon. Probably not though. Uh, but it had like a, it looked like it was, it, I don't know. I'm not good at describing children's art or art in general. You know, if you want me to describe something while you fall asleep, I'm good at that. So maybe I'll stick to that. Uh, but it was very clean lines, muted colors, uh, like very simple and basic, but details and like not cartoon. Well, not cartoony, but like uh, no, not, not a lot of details. Like other than the kid and the carrot, I don't remember a lot about it. Other than the book was famous, and it had muted colors. Uh, and I can picture the pages. I think the page would usually have like one color on the top half of the page and one color on the bottom half. But again, that could just be, you know, the division within my brain. But that book was called like the carrots, the carrot book or the carrot seed or something. And it was a tale of something that I don't remember. Just a kid and a carrot. That's what that's what I But I remember that book being somewhat popular. Okay, so then forget all that, except for this part that I couldn't describe with the simple lines. So this book that I had as a child, that I had a great love for, and it stirs something within me. So I think that's the important thing, you know, if, if, you're, if you're with me now, is one remembering that, that some of the nostalgic power... You know, sometimes, like, if it's subtle good, you can use nostalgic power for subtle good sometimes. And so if you could just lie back, if and if you do have, and again, sorry, this isn't easy stuff to connect with, but it, I guess it is, I'm connecting with it as we speak. But if there is a book that you, you have a vague recollection of, and uh, it's a vague positive recollection, you know, go ahead and let it float around on, the, on your insides. And feel that it feels it. it feel, you say, well, I'm not. Uh, Scoots is going to talk about his book, but first, I want to give you a chance, an opportunity. And if you don't have a book, you know, feel free to substitute anything, a stuffed animal. Now, I'm not talking about your best friend. You say that, that like, if it was a stuffed animal, you're the one that you're like, oh, yeah, I did have that teddy bear. And then there was that other one I liked for a while. Was it a turtle or a snail? I don't remember. I liked it, though. I had a, I did go through a phase where I loved that stuffed animal. No, maybe it was, maybe it was a, well, I don't, can't remember if it was a turtle or a snail. It might not have been either one. It could have been, I can't remember. But I, I do feel good when I think about it. And I, I guess that's the good kind of, when it's a vague nostalgia or a vague memory or a loose connection I guess it's less dangerous because we can't get drawn in. I mean, unless you have a sleep podcast, then, then I have the luxury of being able to draw you all into mine. You know, Narcissism City. But you see, even my vague nostalgia can have its moment in the sun. But go ahead and, and feel that positive feeling. Uh, just let it float there, though. You know, you don't need the day. You say, well, it's, I remember being pretty good. In this book that I remember being pretty good, I can tell you the subject matter. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you might even know. 
And if you listen for a while, you also know my ability to pair, you know, paraphrase or whatever I'm about to do. And you say, well, that's actually not even, and I said, well, it's a sleep podcast. But so this book, the subject matter, it was about the earth. And, and I'm not, t- like, I'm talking about the uh, the earth earth, like the layers of the earth, uh, the mantle, and then the other stuff. Where I think, we're, I'm pretty sure we have a liquid core, liquid metal core, is that, or is our planet solid core? I'm not, no, I'm not joking. And if the author of that book is with us or in another parallel existence where they could listen into this, they're probably not pleased with me, and I'm sorry about that. They'd say that was the whole point of the book was for you to learn what the, the layers of the earth were. And I said, I know, they, I remember there was the mantle. The, I think, and then I get to me, and then I start to get mixed. Was the crust is the crust and the mantle the same thing? It's and then I remember there's molt there's a molten part, but a lot of it's molten, right? That was when I started to get excited. But the uh, method that this book used it was it was the, the 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 primary character, the only character in the book that I remember. Probably maybe by the kid, it was a kid. And off scene, maybe the parents would sometimes check. But this was a very in, in the, I think we have some concrete lessons I've pulled out. Now, I didn't. I don't know if I've pulled out any facts about Earth, but uh, so this this young man, this young child, uh, that was the main character in this story, uh, and I just loved how it unfolded, and it kept building and building on itself, and teaching, and it was cool. Like anytime you get molten, I mean, you, you know, I love molten. I mean, listen to that word, molten. I mean, Moulton worked so good, and I've talked about how much I love uh, Lawrence Moulton. That's my favorite basketball player of all time. Lawrence Poetry Moulton, probably because it's so close to Moulton. But so the the way this book taught was that it was this this child, and they started digging in their yard. And then at some point, the idea hit them, I'd like to, to dig through through the earth i'd like to get all the way like maybe the kid had one too many tootsie pops and they said well i want to get to the bottom of this how many digs is it going to take for me to get to the center of the earth or go all the way through the earth and this was always an idea that i mean like talk about a great concept it's like what is down there i mean especially for a kid that didn't know or, you know, a kid that had me, if a kid had asked me, they'd say, well, I don't know what's down there, kid. Molten stuff, I think. And then they'd probably say, well, how far down is the molten stuff? I'd say, well, if you get, if you dig enough, you'll get to the molten stuff. And I think, like, you know, some kids, maybe more kids that are in the can, you know, that, that have fur, like myself, would get into digging, like a bit like a dog. And those of you that love the beach uh, and like to dig, I don't, and I don't know if this is a universal experience, but so I guess this will, we're going to take a little bend into little Andy territory, true, true, true little Andy territory. But so when I was growing up, we, you know, my parents had all these kids, they had six kids. At some point they probably had three kids. Then they had four kids, and 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 a lot. You know, we were Irish Catholic, so we were pretty packed in. Like six kids over nine years, I believe. 
My brother and my sister are twins, though. Uh, so, and that could, you know, put, puts, you know, that makes things you gotta. So, my, my parents wanted to have a family vacation every year. So, for a family vacation every summer, we, my parents would rent a, rent a rent a cabin or a camp. They call them in New York State or upstate New York. They call them camps. Someplace they call them cabins. Uh, they would rent a camp uh, on Lake uh, Oneida Lake, Oneida Lake. Actually, this brings up another thing. When does it, how do you decide if it goes Lake Ontario or Oneida Lake? Does that have to do with the size? Like, how is that? Name? I mean, I probably should have, you know, decided that before I publicly. But you think about that. Like, say so we have Lake Ontario, Oneida Lake. So these are lakes in in the upstate area that I can name. Okay, yeah, Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, Lake Onondaga. That's not very big. Or is it Onondaga Lake? I think that one goes by both. You don't say Ontario Lake or Erie Lake. You just say Lake Erie Lake. Those are great lakes, though. So, I mean, those are the top, top dogs. You know, unless you're a sea, you can't really do better than a great lake. But so you have so maybe maybe is that the Great Lakes were like no 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 we're we're Lake Ontario like Lady Ontario. I mean, if I had my druthers, that's what I would. I love Lake Ontario. I'd call it Lady Ontario. Uh, but anyway, back to these upstate lakes. We have uh, Lake Onondaga, Onondaga Lake. So that one that could be confusing. Lake Ontario, Onondaga Lake. Did I say those already? Oneida Lake, but they don't call that Lake Oneida. It's just Oneida Lake. Then you have the Finger Lakes, which uh, I, I guess I haven't spent as much time. Like, you know, some people get romanced by the Finger Lakes and some people fall in love with Lady Ontario. And as we get to Oneida Lake, Oneida Lake's pretty, pretty, pretty good lake. Uh, you see, I thought this was about, about a podcast uh, or about a book. You say, well, we'll get there. It's a sleep podcast. So welcome. And uh, again, another thing about the Finger Lakes I like is that my the first Kurt Vonnegut book I wrote, uh, Hocus Pocus, takes place in the Finger Lakes region. Again, I think a fictional version of it. But so the Finger Lakes, you got like Seneca Lake, Cayuga Lake, uh, Skinny Atlas Lake, and then some other ones. Otisco, Otisco Lake. Lake Otisco, that might go by Otisco Lake, Lake Otisco. There's Fulton, I think that's like a river, the Fulton River. I don't think that's a lake. Lake Fulton, no, Fulton River. Um, but anyway, so I guess that doesn't solve any. Anyway, Oneida Lake is right, uh, I guess it's just outside. So Syracuse has Lake Onondaga, which was... Uh, is right in the city of Syracuse, or right there. I think it had to do with the salt business originally. And then in the, you know, in the years like, uh, I guess like, uh, you know, when industry really started booming, you know, lakes, people just saw things through a shorter window. So the Lake Ontario was like the place where everything went from all the industry and urban, you know, as the city became an urban center, 
you know, with all the waste went into Lake Ontario. Now they've been cleaning it. And I'm told that it's like uh, it's it's gotten to a very clean place. And I think this is a lot of like people at my age that grew up in the 80s, uh, especially in Syracuse. Like we had this lake, giant, pretty big lake, and you couldn't you couldn't you could walk around it. But uh, we were told it was like, and I've talked about this on the show before, though. Like it was one of the most polluted lakes in the world, according to you know what, what we told each other as kids. And so you couldn't swim in it or anything. But not that far away was Lake Oneida Lake, which was a bigger lake. And I think maybe it had more, like, uh, river action. I think, and if you go into, like, the old, uh, if you're a history buff, it was probably a bunch of history. I mean, like, unfortunately, it got the bad history because it used to be, you know, the, the, the original indigenous peoples, you know, we didn't treat them fairly. Uh, but then also, like, during the whole, like, in, formation of the United States, so there was a lot of action. And then, of course, the Erie Canal, the Erie Canal uh, used some of these lakes and things, I think. As part of, and there was more canals. Uh, but, again, this isn't the canal podcast. I mean, holy moly. Like, you talk about the modern, you know, I would, I'd have to be locked in if you catch my drift. Uh as a joke, you know, don't don't barge into my podcast and try to uh, put it on a towpath. Okay, that's the only that'll be the only canal related humor uh, tonight. Or was that canal humor? Did I sleep through that part where he was talking about? Was he talking about canal humor? But so, um, where was I? So Oneida Lake. Uh, and I think I've covered some of Oneida Lake. I don't know how I got here, but I, you know, the story swamp gives what it wants. So Oneida Lake, my parents would rent a a ca- camp, which was like a bit like a cabin. Uh, you know, if you, and when I say that, it means a house that can't be occupied in the winter. It can only be occupied when it's warm out because it doesn't have any insulation or probably, I don't know, I don't think these even had heaters. Now, on Oneida Lake, there was camps and there was houses, because next door, the camp that we rented, next door to it was a house where a family lived, and they had a boy my age, uh, Trevor, I think was his name. I I know he has a nickname. I think, I want to say his nickname, I don't think his nickname was Trigger, but Critter was his, his nickname, which I never... I don't know if I ever got to the bottom of that one because he, he seemed to, my memory was, I remember he, he, he kissed my cousin uh, when we play, we were playing hide and seek and made, made it, I mean, whatever the grammar school version of making out is with my cousin uh, when we were playing hide and seek and I caught them and I think I was terribly jealous because I think I probably had a crush on my cousin at the time. Uh, full, full embarrassment, you know, as a, as a child though. And it wasn't a cousin, it was a cousin that I only saw rarely. So that should make it more normal. But I never, I, even as a kid, I, I mean, I guess I never came from, like, it wasn't like he was, this is our kid, Critter. That's what they would say, this is Critter. It wasn't like they would say whatever his name was that I forgot what it was. No, it wasn't forgot his name already, but he, he went by Critter. They, like, I, I just thought it was strange that uh, 
I don't know. I had siblings like Daniel was Dan, Andrew was Andy. So to have someone in, I mean, at school, it would be like kids like if your name was JP, that was pretty extreme. I mean, in a cool way. So being critter was cool, but it was kind of baffling to me. I was like, so you're, you're crit, you're like, uh, and, and it, so I was so baffled. I never said, well, why are you critter? Like, uh, is that a joke or, I mean, it was just his name, even though it wasn't his name, you know, so it wasn't to be investigated further. Also, I guess we're pretty far afield from the book. Hopefully we'll get back to that. But also Critter had a brother, a significantly older brother um, named J.J., and J.J. played the drums. So J.J. was like my first, one of my first, like, unattainable visions of masculinity that it wouldn't, he had long curly hair, like, you know, 80s rocker hair, and he played the drums in their garage. And it was summer, so it was always like, uh, I mean, it was the closest thing to a cool surf dude was his brother, J.J. Plus, he had, J- like, he had Critter and J.J., and I think they had other kids, but I, th- I just remember Critter and J.J. Also remember, I think I had my first orange soda at some point around then. And the only reason I remember that is that I won some kind of bet and the the prize for probably some of my cousins, not the one that was kissing Critter, but some other cousin situation where I won a bet. I think I either had to jump off a swing or hold on to a swing. You know, some sort of dare, you know, daring dude. Not as cool as J.J., you know, wouldn't have been cool in J.J.'s book because he was playing the drums. And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, drums always sound good coming through the garage to kids. You say, man. Like, it was unattainable. Like I said, unattainable masculine. And J.J. didn't wear a shirt. So I think I emulate that part of J.J. But that one day, you know, I would be that cool, which I never was because it was unattainable. But even the attain, I couldn't even obtain the obtaining part. Not that that's important. Uh, but I, so I did win a bet, though, and the the prize was an orange crush uh, soda, or maybe it was a Mountain Dew, and they wouldn't get me a Mountain Dew because they knew that would have made me crazy. So instead, I got an orange crush. I want to say it was something that JJ dared me to do, but I don't think it was. I wish it was. Also, it was not JJ Abrams that was doing this. You know, I could only dream. You know, that's another obtainable you know, vision of masculinity or success or whatever you want to say. So, okay, so back to, so, okay, so this was on Oneida Lake in an area called Sylvan Beach, which doesn't that sound pretty sweet, Sylvan Beach. And you got to remember, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, so something like this, even though I think drive, I mean, as the crow flies, it was probably 30 miles uh, driving is further. Like, I think it probably took 45 minutes to an hour to drive to Sylvan Beach. So for me, we might as well have been in, like, like on the Mediterranean. Like, for me as a kid, this was it. And, and for a week or two weeks a year, we would rent, rent, rent this same cabin for, for probably most of my childhood. My dad would still go to work, so he would still com- commute to work. Uh, but the rest of us, you know, we'd be there. And I'll get to the swimming and stuff, but here's, like, the main things I remember about Sun Beach, J.J. and Critter. 
And, you know, there was a time, like, this was one of these, you know, in my memory, you know, Critter was my age, uh, so we, we could get some good hide-and-seek games. We played a lot of hide-and-seek and versions of hide-and-seek. And sometimes when I'm doing the podcast, and I'm imagining that that's like the images I can see those kids and I can kind of see that physical place where we would have played a hide and seek. Also, so, so Sylvan Beach was named after this place, which kind of still exists in a different format than, than now. But if you walk down to this one part where I think the Oneida Canal or the Erie Canal or something emptied into Oneida Lake, uh, there was a seaside amusement or a lakeside amusement. Now, it wasn't an amusement park, but, it, I mean, it was barely an amusement park. It had Fascination, which is a game where you roll the balls, like gambling for adults, but kids could play too, where you try to roll the balls and get them in a row. Probably had other carnival games, but Fascination was slower, and it was probably only a quarter or ten cents back then. So you could actually play a few games and pass some time. And even anybody can play Fascination. I don't know if anybody can be good at it. But they had a couple rides there. I think I don't think that they, and they had an indoor scrambler. I think that's what they're called. And I think scramblers still exist at like uh, county fairs and state fairs and local fairs. But this one was inside, and it was very much, I think I've talked about it, like it was very uh, psychedelic, like they had uh, strobe lighting, so the lights would go out, and then they projected movies, like a bit like the inside of that Willy Wonka's tunnel, like confusing, trippy, psychedelic movies and disco lights. So that was pretty fun, and there was a couple other rides there. Uh, so that would be our treat was to be to go down to the, the, the I don't know if we I don't think we called it the boardwalk because there wasn't a boardwalk. And I'm trying to think what else we would have done there. But that was like I think they had a merry-go-round. Of course they had a merry-go-round. What am I saying? Uh, but that was Sylvan Beach proper. And then they had the one ride that you know stirs feelings. You know that only kids would go in when you felt comfortable enough with a mirror maze and then other stuff. And I think I was too frightened to go to that particular ride or house until it was too late. Like, I think I probably went in it once and then it ended up closing down. Um, so there was Sylvan Beach. And then we would always go around the 4th of July. And there would be a lot of amateur fireworks. There might have even been like a formal fireworks display. But I, what I really remember about this, I think I talked about it one other time on the podcast, is that the day after the 4th of July, me and my brothers and sisters would get up. My, my, I only have one sister. Probably just me, my brother Carl, my sister Sheila, maybe my brother Ted. But we would walk up and down the beach collecting the spent fireworks. And I don't know why we I mean, I guess I do know why I started it. I don't know why I'm underselling it. But because there's something about uh, fireworks uh, that there's marketing material on them. And I don't think it's, I think there was a heyday and this was the heyday where, I mean, they were illegal fireworks. So that was already cool. But they always had like, uh, you know, cool names like Cat Scratch Fever or Roman Candle. And it would have more marketing stuff, you know, because they were probably competing with other ones, you know, like Super Balls and and cool artwork and theming, and so we would connect, collect it all. 
And we just thought we, we, it was just one of those things kids do. We were, oh, man, look at this one. And there's probably like a sadder part where I was like, well, these are mine. And, they, they, you know, I don't know if we would play with them. I think we would just appreciate them. I mean, I know I dragged my brother and sister along. I think they would have a positive memory of it, too. But I could have, you know, it could be traumatic for them if it involves me, unfortunately, but I was. But I can just remember pining after, you know, and w wishing one day, you know, I could be cool, you know, I'd be, I'd be able to do all that. But uh, I think now I'm just happy. I, I, have no, I don't know, have any desire to possess fireworks, I, and, and that's not in my, I don't want to be bothered with that. So I think still I'll just collect, and now I'd just be like, no, I don't want to collect them. But, but back then it was such a joy. And you do, I guess it's those of you that are with me you say, wait, like if you were, you'd say, you're kidding me. You, you, who knew, who would have, like, you, you used to collect old spent fireworks. That's one of your great memories. And now you do a sleep podcast and I say, they say okay, I could, see, you know, where you taught. And I say, yeah, I guess it does make sense. It does make sense of it. Uh, before we move on from Sylvan Beach, a couple more. I didn't know this would be the Oneida Lake Sylvan Beach story, but we'll get to the, the part about the book, I guess. Uh, one other thing. So Sylvan Beach, it was a freshwater lake, or Oneida Lake. And I think there was other, There's I, I know there's Verona Beach. I know some listeners, I've heard from listeners uh, that grew up in these areas. And there was probably other beaches, but, like, I had heard of Verona Beach also because it was a school district that would be closed during snowstorms. So it would always be like, holy cow, Vernon Verona was the school district. So if Vernon Verona had a snow day, that's when you'd start being like, well, geez, are we going to have a snow day? Because they would close the earliest, you'd say. So in the winter, you'd be watching and say, okay, Vernon Verona uh, they're not having school, so hopefully we'll get out of school. But so, um, let's see, where was I? It's collecting fireworks. And, okay, so swimming, you know, if you, I love swimming. I love fresh bodies of water. And then I do have a great love for salt water, too. And then pools. I guess that's how I'd rank it. Fresh water, lakes mostly, though I'm choosy. I'm picky and choosy. Then salt water. Uh, and then, you know, pool water. And uh, so I'd rank pools third. Some people are pools first, and I'd say, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. Don't worry. Uh, but so, so the only other thing you really need to, okay, so a couple of things about Oneida Lake. It did set me up because it had sand beaches. Now, I don't know if they were natural sand beaches, but you could have walked the sand beach almost from where, like you could walk for pretty pretty long distances and have the sand beach experience, you know that these these are the great beach barons of the world try to, you know, say you know walking with your barefoot in the sand, you know. So Oneida Lake had that experience. So I was lucky as a child to have that. Now here's the downside. And again, I don't know, like, I'm not, I don't know everything about Oneida Lake. I only know about this small sliver. I mean, this is what's so interesting about people and stories and experiences, too, and unpacking this. Like, you have this whole huge lake uh, and an ecosystem and all that. 
and I have all these memories, but even on this one lake, it's a sliver. But there's a lot of relatable stuff here, too. Uh, but why I say that is I don't know if this applied to all of Oneida Lake or to just this one region. Was um, So you had these beautiful sand pe- beaches, and then you had this beautiful lake. But for 8 feet, no, it's probably like 25 feet between the beach and the open lake was muck. And I'm talking about like the kind of muck that you are as a human being programmed to be repulsed by. And it's not necessarily that it needs to repulse you, but it's something on a whatever, um, you know, that, that you say, okay, I'm not, like it's a muck you couldn't see through. And it's a, you might say it's algae. Well, I get deeper into it, but I, that was the one thing. And it was long enough that there wasn't any way to traverse it. And I guess, like, uh, people that live there, I don't know. I think it was something on the lizard part of your brain. You don't want to put your foot in anything that's mucky. And then you don't really, I mean, this is a smart policy. You don't want to put your foot in water when you can't see the bottom if you're in bare feet, correct? And for the most part, people would say, just get over it. But I can remember it was, and, and this is a unit, like, as far as my family goes, we talk about this sometimes. And sometimes people would try to build, like, a little sand, like, path. But it was far enough that it would defeat any, like, you, if you wanted to swim, you had to wade through the muck. And it was, like, ankle deep, uh, calf deep for kids, maybe knee deep for little kids. And you would just have to walk through this 10 or 15 feet of muck. And it was always there. It wasn't like a, it would come in some days. It must have just been how the sandbars worked and the flow of the water. And I, I guess living in the West Coast now, it wasn't like a kelp or anything. Like this was like uh, like something if you put your hand in, like when I talk about the story swamp, you could scoop out. You would come out with like a, a handful of muck. And I'm not talking about swamp. I'd say it's some sort of green hair that had to like absorb so much water that it had mass and because we would throw it at each other. And that would be pretty fun if you get hit in the back with muck. You know, it, it it would look gross, but it was actually less gross once it was removed from the water. It was just green, the green muck. But because then you weren't stepping into it, it wasn't like it was rotten or anything like that. It was just mucky, and that's what we called it, the muck. Now, once you got past the muck, you were at golden. Like you'd get to the, like, I guess to a sandbar, which was probably keeping the muck in. And I don't know the flows or whatever of Oneida Lake. I do know a lot of people ice fish on there in the winter, I believe. But once you got out, then you hit clear water for the most part and sandy bottom. Not too wavy. Like this beautiful thing, the reason I love Lady Ontario the, is because that, that lake is much more uh, sea-like in that there, there can be giant waves and... and it's always a cha- the changing faces of Lake Ontario, where, and I can't speak to Oneida because I was much younger. But uh, anyway, you'd get in there and then you'd be golden. It'd be great. Once you got through the muck, swimming in that lake was delightful. So let's see. So let me get to this. Uh, so so they so so I only have good things to say about Oneida Lake, and I mean questions that come up are why why was this kid named Critter? Uh, they, he kissed my cousin, but I think everyone knows about that at this point. 
in Osama Cousin's name. J.J. was cool. Scooter was boring even then. He liked to collect old space. What's the saddest child story that's not really sad, that's just kind of sad? Scooter collecting spent fireworks, that's pretty sad. He just collected, but it's sad. I, get, I bet you that's the beauty of the Internet, too. I know for a fact, I think I heard from listeners last time I talked about it, that they, there's, I mean, remember those ones with, the, there was ones with cat drawings on there and, you know, whistle reporter. I mean, I'd like to meet, like, what'd you do for a living? I used to write a, I, I did, I, I was, I used to do edit copy, right? I was a copywriter. What kind of copy did you write? Uh, well, my partner and I, my partner was an artist and I was a copywriter. We did it for uh, illegal fireworks. Well, legal in some states, but mostly illegal fireworks. You see, did you make the cat dragon face series of uh, Roman candles? Well, we did. We did. We patented that. Say, well, it's, easy. it's a pleasure to meet you. You and your partner are my heroes. Uh, I always dreamed about uh, being in the. Uh, I see. It's not even marketing. What do you? What do you call? What well, was the uh, illegal firework wrapper business? I'd say you realize how many ways I could go with the illegal firework wrapper. And he said, "Yeah, oh, believe me, that's how we pass the hours at the." Uh... And I said, "Did you work at the fireworks factory?" And I said, "No, no, 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 no. We just we we actually worked in a garage." And I said, "JJ, is that you?" And he said, "It is. I'm JJ now." I drum still in a garage, and then I write copy for fireworks. Okay, sorry about that. He gets to, so this whole tale of Lake Lake Ontario, and I guess I'm, I'm I guess I'm flushing with gratitude that uh, uh, that I was able to have those experiences. Uh, so you know, you say really appreciate the sacrifice my parents must have had to make. Uh, and that their only choice for, uh, I mean, sure, they had a few other slim options of where to uh, vacation on a limited budget with six kids, but that I lived somewhere where you could rent a cabin or a camp, as we call them, on a lake and, uh, you know, and do that. Uh, so, wow, uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm speechless almost. Uh, but that all circles back uh, to to the to the book about digging to this earth, because this was where I had this first experience of. So the, as I had said, they had this these sand beaches there, and the thing about the sand beach was that you could, you know, as I said, like I think this is a thing for a lot of people is that you, when you get to the sand beach, you want to dig, and some people dig, and they say, let's put you in the sand and take a picture. But as we would start to dig for the beach, like once we got used to it, one of the first goals we would be is to dig down deep until you could hit water. And so with this sand beach, if you dug, and I'm thinking with a kid's arm, it would be past your elbow, but not, sometimes you'd have to dig all the way to your shoulder. But if you were just digging with one hand, digging, 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 at some point, usually between your elbow and your shoulder, you would hit water where the hole would start to fill up with water. Like you'd be at the water table, I guess, technically. You'd be at lake level, which I don't know the difference between lake level and sea level. Now, the beauty of that, and I guess maybe this, I don't think this is Mother Nature providing, but because of the muck, you know, like when you get to the lake water table or whatever, we call it hitting water. You see, get to, have you, who's going to get to water? 
you could use that. That would be clean, clear water you could use for your sandcastle building. Now, that's a whole other area of nostalgia that I you know, get to correct, but I'm not a hand-based artist. I'm a you know, doll-based artist. But, you know, we would always do the sand dribbling, so our sandcastles would look more like the sandcastles in the uh, Disney movie with a little mermaid. You know where there are drizzled sand towers and stuff. We I, we didn't we weren't uh, the builders of these sand sculptures that people make. Anyway, I think they probably did have sand castle contests there. Maybe another fantasy I had, but it, it never. I have met. I, I do know this guy, Rob K. He was an artist for for a plate when I sold iron on patches and fuzzy dice. He was one of the iron on patch artists. And I know to pay the bills, another thing he was good at was sand sculpting. Uh, so good on Rob. Um, but so, let's see, where was I? Um, so we would dig to the water, and that was just such a such a connection with the earth. Like, uh, it's so amazing uh, to, to be able to dig a hole, and then there's water down. You're standing on dry sand. It could be hot sand, depending on the wet of the day. And then if you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig, and then you hit water, my mind would be blown. And then it would be something we'd be looking forward to, you know, a shared experience. We'd be like, okay, let's start digging. Let's get to water so we can start making these sand castles or, you know, stick our feet in there. It's a little bit cool. You know, just something to do. Now, this isn't a knock on Lady Ontario. And because of her wave action and her power, there's stone beaches in Lake Ontario where where I go, and that's just a fact, you know. So uh, you can't, and, and I think I've tried to dig to water, and you kind of can, but it just gets just rocks, just more and more rocks, smaller rocks. Uh, but so that digging action, that was what the book was about. So the, in this book that I was obsessed with as a kid that I loved, the main character started digging, and I don't know if the character hit water, probably did hit the water table. And then the kid went from, uh, you know, at some point the kid was digging with his hands, and he, so each page and each piece of art advanced uh, how deep he was digging and then the equipment, and I just found this so fascinating. So he dig, dug with his hands, then he dug with a kid's shovel, then he dug with an adult shovel, and he got deeper, and I'm sure it was explaining, yeah, you're past the uh, crust, and now you're into the mantle, and then it became, and, and I think the kid was probably even researching, oh, I love this book, so then he got into one of those uh, those construction things with the shovel, you know, the steam shovel, and then he was digging with that, and then I think he probably moved to a jackhammer and he had to devise a way to get, you know, with an elevator to get the things out. And then it started, then he started to get deeper. And then they said, okay, you need some sort of, or maybe it was a hand drill. And then he, as it got hotter, and I think they probably talked about the pressure, the deeper you go, he had to wear like a thermal suit. And then he had to wear where it was going up to the surface for air. And then the pressure got even more, so then he was in, like, a, a machine that didn't even exist. Uh, and he was digging deeper, you know, was, they were explaining how it had to protect him from the heat and the pressure. 
and still he went to the core, which again, I think was a liquid. I think we have a magma core at the core of ours. Uh, maybe not, though. Maybe we have an iron, solid iron core. I don't know. But I guess I wonder, like, uh, like, so we have all this, you know, not great stuff going on with the digging, with the fracking and stuff. But I guess I always wonder, or I've just been wondering recently, like, uh, that there's no romance anymore about the center of the earth. Uh, we're, like, doing stuff down there. Now we still have the mystery of the seas and, and unexplored, you know, and there's still people exploring and pioneering with the seas, and we have the space... But, like, as far as Earth, it's, like, kind of like, uh, well, we'll get, to, you know, we're going to try to get all the dinosaur stuff out of there so we can sell it for a boatload of money. And maybe we could put the gross stuff down there. And, you know, we would also like to, con if we can't control the oil, we'd like to control your drinking water to charge you for that. But we kind of filed a lot of that up with the oil. So sorry about that. But, um, but I, I, and I don't know, and I know Muskie doesn't listen to this podcast, but I'd love it as someone like Muskie. I mean, is it just that we know what's down there, or do we? I mean, I know there's not civilizations down there. I mean, I've read some H.G. Wells, and, uh, you know, it's cool to think about. But it's also cool what this book was, was about the facts, like, and, like, I guess, like, I mean, maybe you say, Scoots, this is your job. I said, well, I just did, you know, digging down there. And what happens if you get past all that stuff? Is there a way? How deep can we go if we're not just in? in is there a reason to do it? I guess, yeah. So maybe I should be peruse my curiosity more. But it was just such a, I just love, uh, love that. And I guess it was good that we explored because then I said, well, I started digging. And instead of digging in the earth, we dug into my memory. It's of uh, Lake and uh, Oneida Lake which we have almost returned to like a year and a half ago. But then we, we went to Fort Stanwix, which was a, a Revolutionary War fort. Maybe it was a French, I don't know what war it was actually, but uh, War of 1812 maybe fort, I don't know. But we didn't make it to uh, Sylvan Beach. And I know there's some sort of, I think there's a pier there that they're trying to figure out ownership of. I think actually the company that owns Sylvan Beach also owns the Renaissance Fair that I've gone to in upstate New York. But so that's a little journey, I guess, a little journey in, into the center of Scoots. Is, you know, we're digging for water and we're looking for fireworks. Uh, so I hope uh, this, uh, you know, I hope I kept you company. Thanks for listening.